Today's show is sponsored by the MultiorgasmicMama.com. If lack of confidence, low libido, or guilt and shame around your sexuality are the cause of your bedroom woes, you know, the hot wild sex you never have anymore, or the transition into motherhood that sucked your libido dry, let me help you get your mojo and magnetic feminine spark back. Magic, miracles, total self-love, and multi-orgasmic bliss included. See you at the MultiorgasmicMama.com. Welcome back, Hot Mamas. Today, I've got a very special guest on, Devondra Brown. Hey, Miss Devondra, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am so great, and I'm very ecstatic about talking with you today because I kept thinking about how in the world can we talk about social injustice and sexuality, and who in the world would I possibly have on to talk about this? <laughs> And I was so excited when I found you and we did a little uh, collaboration earlier and I was like, oh, she's perfect. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in the world. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Chili, for having me. I appreciate that. Um, I am definitely a hot mama, I think. Uh, <laughs> so I totally relate to that. Um, I have been doing sexuality education, believe it or not, since the age of 13 in some way. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, it just so happened, my mom always told me if you wanted to know something, read a book. And so I flopped myself in the sex section <laughs> and I read every book I could by like Dr. Ruth Westheimer and Bob Berkowitz. And so started like understanding the body and understanding what sex really meant and the emotional side of it and things like that. And trying to teach um, my peers, cause I was born and raised Catholic, trying to teach my peers about intimacy without having those words, right? Because remember, we're talking 13. I was a teenager, so I didn't have all those words, but I was just like, oh, you don't have to jump into bed. But anyway, that was that's where it all started. Me trying to tell them, hey, let's let's do this and not that. And let's work this way and not that way. Or let's feel a little bit more instead of worrying about whether or not he likes it. Like it was all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so fast forward, here I am eons later, 30 years later, um, as a master certified health education specialist. I work a lot in um, pleasure post-trauma, but in the realm of supporting the health and helping professionals. So for physicians, especially like cancer doctors um, and nurses, trying to help them understand what and how they need to talk to their patients around sexuality after medical trauma, um, working with sexual assault, domestic violence places, and making sure that their staff has the competencies and you know the information needed to properly support past the trauma and not just surviving as a trauma, but really thriving past the trauma. Um, so that's the work that I'm doing currently, and I truly enjoy it. Mm. That's so important. I'm glad to know that people are educating even doctors on these things. I think it's very interesting how a lot of people have a mystery around sexuality with even a disability even. And like, there's just things that you don't know and, until you're there and having that education is so valuable. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. And that's exactly it. They, they, you know, people don't think about the other side of it. And, and honestly, in our society, we don't necessarily talk 
very readily around sex. And so to have somebody talk about, oh yeah, you know, you can have sex again. Well, I can't really have enjoyable sex if I have scar tissue in my vagina. Like that's not pleasurable anymore. So now how do I figure out what pleasure looks like? Um, If it's a penis haver and they're having, you know, erectile issues because they were abused at some point, what does it look like to have enjoyable sex with a flaccid penis or have enjoyable intimacy with a flaccid penis? And so having those conversations and creating the spaces to have those conversations, especially in the doctor's offices that are usually where they're being treated or the therapist offices that they're being treated in, giving them that or building their capacity to be able to address those situations is so important. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for highlighting that and creating those spaces to have that conversation because it's much needed. Epic. And I'm also curious though about what you're doing now to highlight social injustice within the sexual wellness space. Yeah. So, um, Thanks, all kudos to a platform called Made of Millions. They are a um, intrusive thoughts, kind of ADHD, mental wellness um, nonprofit. And they do work nationally on that subject. And they decided to start venturing out to other areas. And so asked me to put my just a thought of a podcast. Like, I, honestly, it was a podcast idea, Tilly. Asked me to put it on their platform. And so then birth intersections, and that's intersections with an X instead of a C. Um, and so what we've done is that once we started, we were going to start to do this, but then we've had all these racial uprisings, decided that we needed to dedicate the first few episodes to the cross-section of sexuality and um, racial reform within this country. And that's what we've done. So for the last few weeks, I have discussed things around social justice. Like last week, we talked to Dr. Lex James around the dehumanizing and the sexualizing of Black males within this social justice movement. So I don't know if many of you have seen it, but there's an article by Sharonda Brown. I think it's S-H-E-R-R-O-N-D-A. Sharonda Brown. She wrote an article and put some pictures up of some of the protests. And in the pictures that she highlighted were white women. There was one woman that had, um, I only suck black cock. Mm-hmm. And then there was another woman that said, I love black dick, so you will hear me speak. Those types of boards, what she highlighted was that you literally are reducing these black men to their penises. Like, that is it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else about them matters. And but because it matters to you as a white female, right, then it should matter and you should hear my voice. Yeah. And so we've been highlighting those conversations today. Um, our earlier you and I spoke in regards to sexual wellness and especially in the black community. What does that look like? How do we get it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, this is not an easy topic for people to make the connection to. Mm -hmm. And what I am trying to do right now with the work around sexuality is help people understand the connections, right? Having people on experts, not just anyone, but experts, sexual health educators, 
therapists, um, somatic workers, have them on to explain the intersection and do it in a way that is easy for the public to get and feel like, oh my God, this is, there is a huge connection, right? Mm -hmm. There's a huge connection and we need to pay attention to it. So that's what I'm trying to do in this social justice work. Um, and just to, you know, to make it make sense to people. Yeah. And I think that's what, what women, especially the listeners here want to hear is like, I don't get how this could even relate to sexuality. And to be honest with you, I had no idea how it even related to sexuality until recently. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you don't know what you don't know until you go digging and you're looking for it and you're like, oh, wow, this is how it relates. And, you know, I hear white women talk all the time. Oh, I sleep with black men. I'm not racist. And, you know, when the more I dove into it, the more I'm like, that doesn't mean you're you're anti-racist because you sleep with black men like at all so talk to me at all all. (laughs) not at all it just means you're an equal opportunist for sex like that which is very different than not being racist Mm -hmm. and not buying into the white male supremacy of it all Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think one of the biggest lessons that i've learned since the uptick of the movement a couple of weeks ago is that being anti-racist means you actually are doing something that you might not consider yourself racist, but you're not really anti-racist until you're taking the actions. Definitely. And I think, you know, when I, I have grace even when I talk about these women in the pictures, because I believe that they, believe they were doing something well um and we're going to make a statement by saying i love on right black men mm-hmm. however that's not what you said what you did was characterize this man by one part of who he is mm-hmm. which is easily relatable to the fact that technically when the world in this constitution was written black people were three-fifths of human so they weren't a man so all you're doing is reducing again yeah that's it yeah. and can you talk to us about how that is affecting young black men in particular yeah i think you see it twofold because even in the same article i believe she had a picture of a black male that had a sign up that says well your daughter loves all the all nine inches of me so you should love my body or something like that you should love the rest of me or something um it's twofold right it goes back to what you just said you don't know what you don't know so this black male has now internalized his worth and value in his penis as his penis has basically bought into the stereotype of the black man mandingo and the sex slave like he is the hungry sexed oversexed black man and that is who he is he doesn't probably see it in that far of a of a stretch but it's not a far stretch because this is something that the colonial, like colonialism has put into us mm-hmm. to believe that. 
And so then you have that or you have the opposite side of saying, well, if I'm not that, then I'm, I'm emasculated and I'm not a man and I'm less than a man because I don't want sex all the time. And because I don't have the, you know, the stereotypical, um, 10 inch penis or 13 inch penis. It's like, Oh no. So I'm less of a man. Um, and so it, it creates problems within even building a relationship with your own self sexually. It creates problems with building relationships with the lovers that you choose to have. And then any type of long lasting, truly intimate social interaction and relationship, it totally dismantles that like you are setting the pace already to create division in any relationship because you've internalized something that was given to us as a falsehood right and I've seen this in white male clients that I've worked with and and how the performance and like the objectifying them for being the sexual creatures we want them to be. I see, I have seen how it has affected them, but I feel like this is like a million times like amplified in black men in particular. Yes. I mean, you know, it goes back to thinking about a lot of our black men were used as sex slaves when in, while they were enslaved. So not only are we enslaved for the use of crops and labor, free labor, we're also used and enslaved for breeding other men to be our care, you know, our crop takers and things like that. You are also broken. You were sexually raped and assaulted and broken so that you wouldn't be or feel as strong as the proud black man that you are. So you have white slave owners that are literally raping black men to, to make them understand that you're not a man. Right. And you have those black men that then have to try to have relationships and build black families on and under these types of constraints. And you don't think that that after doing that for hundreds of years, that that is not genetically woven into our race. It's there. And we have to do so much of work to undo that. But part of that work has to be done by white males and white females. Yeah. Yeah that seriously sent waves of emotion through my body as you were saying it, because that's the part of history we don't talk about. Right. Right. And, that and if is, we don't talk about it, then we, if we don't admit it, we can't change it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I see so many posts about, Oh, what, what happens if we teach black history in the schools? And it's like, well, what happened if we just teach American history the way it happened? Mm-hmm. Yep. Cause that, that would help. And that would definitely say, you know, black history, it would be all over. We would understand the institutionalized racism. We understand the difference of that versus personal racism. We understand implicit bias. Um, And then we need to start teaching, you know, humanity of actual human nature, 
right? So human nature is to retain and keep power. Well, then how does that work? And let's really debate this on a philosophical level, but how does that work against freedom? Because at any given moment, somebody, some group, some, you know, race or whatever, you use it as a, as a class of society, somebody has the power. And so then is there ever truly a freedom? And where do we really keep, where do we put equality and how do we get to there? Mm. Right. And so that's a, that's a huge discussion that we choose not to have. We tend not to have, and we go so granular to, oh, but George Floyd actually committed a crime. And that's the reason why he was even being detained. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. It's not the point. You know, it's just like, the meme, I saw someone had put up a picture, you know, the meme of, um, or, or the picture, I don't know why we're calling them memes these days, but the graph, <laughs> but <Yeah>. the graph, <laughs> so millennial of me when I'm not even a millennial, <laughs> the graphic that shows, um, a iceberg and it has success at the top and then under the water, it has all the things that happened and all the things you have to go through to see that success and that's way deeper and goes down a lot further than that peak of success that you see on the top of the water. Well, somebody did that and put George Floyd on the top of the water and all of the names of everybody else underneath. Because that's the buildup. That's what this is. It's not about George Floyd the man it's about george floyd the black men and women who have had their their necks pressed down by the knee of white supremacy yeah yeah i saw that meme or whatever (laughs) i'm a millennial so (laughs) (laughs) no shame at all i'm just saying i'm definitely a gen xer right on the cusp but i'm a gen xer (laughs) Yeah, I saw that one on your uh, on your Facebook page, and I was like, "Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's it's just a it's the one thing that happened that brought all the other things to the surface, and it's been a long time coming. It has been, it has been, and and we have to remember that we've had a civil rights movement before, mm-hmm. and so why are we still here? Something's not right. No, not at all." something's not right. And so a lot of that work, um, you know, that kind of calling out whenever somebody says, oh, well, that's a black thing. It's not a race card thing. It it really happens. And I think that it's because of you millennials, honestly, that have cameras everywhere, that it has come to this, you know, apex at this point, because you can't deny it anymore. There's recordings everywhere. There's cameras. There's video of everything, audio and video. You can't say, well, well, if you had, if you knew what they were saying, you would know that it was self-defense. No, now you see and hear what they're saying. So there's no denying and turning back. Um, and people are getting called on it everywhere. You know, I don't know um, how much your listeners keep up with. Uh, news, but our even local news in here in Baton Rouge has made national attention with the school board and um, Connie being one of the school board members 
on her computer as a white female while they're discussing taking down the name of Robert E. Lee as a high school for a predominantly black high school. She's on her computer as a school board member shopping, mm -hmm. shopping while they're having this difficult discussion. Yeah, I saw that. You want to talk about white privilege? That that's what you decide to do with your time of being a committed member of a organ of a of a group that is benefiting our future, and you choose to totally ignore that and to spend time shopping. Mm. We need our white sisters to do better. That's right, and <clears throat> that's for sure something yeah. I made on. Uh, made a commitment to as I'm starting to see like what is actually being called for and asked of us right now. And it's to take action. <laughs> you're like I said, you're not actually active. You're not anti-racist until you're actually doing things and, you know, bringing people like you on and having these conversations is what's needed to shed light on things that have been in the dark for so long. There's no more darkness around this. It's coming out and, and we're here. I, at least I'm here <laughs> to help bring that to the light because that feels like the most important thing right now. Uh, I mean, just hearing you talk about how this, these traumas upon traumas are affecting black men and women too. And yes. I'm, I'm curious though, like what as white people do we actually need to be doing to ameliorate that damage that we have done? by over-sexualizing Black people, even if it was unconscious. Yeah. So I think us as sex professionals, we have to call it out and call it for what it is, right? There are a lot of things as sex experts that we see um, that we make the connections with that the general society and general public will not. And so we have to call them out on it. We have to be diligent in being each other's allies. And I say, I use that word, unfortunately, loosely, because an ally is really, one, you can't call yourself an ally, but two, it's allyship with action. You have to do the work. So that means you have to have the hard conversations with your loved ones that make the snide remarks or the racist comments or the off-color um, jokes. And when they are when you know that they are a part of a bigger problem with them, you have to address it at that point. I think the other thing that we have to expect uh, or would like to see of white counterparts is to show up in a humble way, but, and ask us for, is there stuff that we can do or is there anything we can do, but not expect that we give it all to you. Like we can't, teach you how to do the work because we're trying to do our end of the work. We're trying to teach our children how not to be victims, which is the craziest thing, right? It's like you don't teach somebody how to not get killed, but we do, mm -hmm. right? We have to. Yeah. Um, so you have to show up ready to do your own work, right? Show up ready to do a Google search of what books should I read? What things should I, you know, talk about? Be ready to acknowledge your whiteness in the presence of all of this, right? Um, even being on the journey as an ally, you still have to realize and open yourself 
to the levels that need to happen. Um, I have a really good friend that happens to be a white person that is blown away every day now that there's more and more information out there. Blown away at the fact that um, they watched 13th um, on, on Netflix and could not believe that even in that amendment, we were still made crimes and criminals. Yeah. Couldn't understand that literally every piece of fabric of this country has been built on oppressing the Black person. And I think continuously having that conversation, continuously reminding yourself that it's not, an, and I, I purposely use whiteness because that's something that now the Dialogue on Race Louisiana is teaching to, because white privilege is such a triggering word, people are continuously fighting that privilege means I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth and not understanding that privilege is you and I can go in for a job, um, a job interview with the same credentials and the the same look and the same appearance, except for our skin color. And you can leave out of that place with a job, or you leave out of that place with a higher offer for salary. But that my skin, in and of itself, then brings me less than you. That's what white privilege is. However, we've had to start talking about whiteness because the privilege word is triggering. Mm. But then in and of itself, that's almost one of those mayonnaise tears type things. And I know that's a slang, but that's one of those, you're crying white tears for something that we've dealt with all of our lives. This, this semantics, like let's not cry over semantics. You, you have privilege because of your skin color. We have oppression because of our skin color. Yeah. That's not an everyday occurrence, so to speak, but it can be, right? The possibility of it is always there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do your own damn work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> We're tired. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just so no. you know what that means for me, at least, uh, for me, it means like finding out where does racism live in my body? Because mm-hmm. no matter, every single person has that that lives in their body. Every body it lives in. It don't care how unracist or whatever you think you are it's in there because it comes from our lineage, our ancestors, our generational, our, it's in our epigenetics. It's literally in your body. And the way to work through that and untangle it is, in my opinion, the best way, and this is how I'm doing it, is somatic experiencing therapy. And that's the most effective way that I've found to contact generational ancestral traumas and to work with them in a way that it really does discharge and release in your system completely. But it takes time and it takes really being able to get into your body 
and have, you know, a trained person that knows how to lead you there. So that's personally what I'm doing. And, but that's like something that we can all be doing too. You know, you can educate yourself. You can listen to the podcast, read the books, watch the Netflix shows. But what it really comes down to is getting it out of your body. Yeah. So it doesn't get passed on. Definitely. And I would, I would also state that when you're doing that type of work, when you're engaging in that type of deep personal work that you have a team of people to support you. And I'm not saying that because, um, you know, saying that, Oh, Tilly doesn't do that all by herself. It's that there's a lot of emotions that come out and that are connected with this intergenerational racism and the biases that live in us. And so what happens is sometimes those show up even past your sessions together. Right. And so having, you know, therapists and um, psychiatrists and even some physicians, I'm sorry, physicians to understand that you're doing the somatic work, but that they're also part of the team to help you get through the work is so important. And that's definitely something that I try to explore and educate with therapists is saying, you know, use your sex coaches, use your sex educators, because there's other work that you're not going to do here. There's other therapies that you're not going to do in clinical therapy whether it's because it's not approved or you just not trained in it, whatever, there's other things that need to be done, but you need to be part of that helping team. It's a huge support team that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. And even just having people like you to talk with is super helpful too. (laughs) Keep me in check woman. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. So one other, uh, the last area I want to, discuss is having access to sexual education and sexual health services and access to the communities that focus on these subjects. How is that different for black people than it is for white people? Well, I think first we have to think about how difficult it's been for sexual education and sexual health to become a norm um, and how we're still fighting as a genre of health education to be um, part. I mean, we're nowhere on the wellness wheel. And we already know that sexual wellness integrates with every facet of our lives, but yet we're not on the wellness wheel. So that's a fight in of itself. So that means already, if we're in the sexual field as professionals, we're already behind the eight ball in the health and wellness spectrum. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you have Black folks that have been fighting to be seen as professionals in any subject, in any arena, while we've been fighting just as hard or doubly as hard in the sex arena. So one of the things that I see happening currently is places like um, ASEC doing the work to make sure that there is more diversity and not just diversity in their membership. And ASEX, sorry to throw out acronyms, but ASEX is the um, American Association of Sexuality Experts, Counselors, uh, Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And so what they've done is not only to promote diversity in the membership, but to promote diversity in the boards, in their executive team, in the leaders of the organization. That's where we want to start seeing our um 
our people of color, but especially black folks in the administrative roles, because where a lot of companies have gone wrong, a lot of people have gone wrong is not having that voice at the head, at the helm. And so then you're saying, and you're preaching diversity and integration and da da da, but you're not doing it in the manner in which it is truly inclusive to people that uh, feel that that's who you're talking to. So if you're talking to me as a black person, if you're talking to me as a black person, but you're talking from a place of white privilege, it's not getting to me. It's not getting to me because the words that you're using isn't quite there. And so then that creates another access and an access issue and a barrier to that and building that community. So we can see it in a lot of different ways, but I think that that's one main way that these organizations that are reaching out, that are serving communities um, of color, minority, trans, anything, they have to realize that you can't just be diverse in who you serve and you can't just be diverse in your membership. You have to be diverse in your administration. And there are enough of us that are educated that are degreed that are very capable to do the high level work but because of the implicit bias and the institutionalized racism we have found ourselves denied time and time again yeah yeah and so there's you know that's that's a big access issue and so you have to think about it if that's an access issue at the top then the people that we're trying to reach, they see that. They see that. I was so excited um, looking at a company today and was very excited to pitch them to work with them because everything that they were talking about was right up my alley. Inclusion, diversity, making sure everybody is a part of the team and you can you know, have innovative ideas and things like that. And I went to their leadership team. Everywhere else, it was diversity. Went to their leadership team. It was stark white. Mm, wow. Stark. Wow. <laughs> stark. Not one. That is insane. Not one. Not even. Not even. Not one black. Not one person of color. Needless to say, my pitch is going to change <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So, yeah, so when we talk about access, that, you know, that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we have, even as a trained professional, we still get denied access. Even as a degreed, educated person, we still get denied access. And so if we're denied access to that community, what do you think the person that does not have those degrees behind those, that alphabet suit behind their name, doesn't have the support systems, doesn't even have the exposure to understanding sexual wellness as part of um, your overall health. They, it's non-existent. It doesn't even reach them. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know that there are other wellness and health professionals that listen to this podcast, and I know that you do lots of speaking gigs as well, and you've got some amazing uh, talks that you deliver, and I would love for you to tell us where we can find you and connect with you. Sounds good. So on Insta, it is at D.I. Brown Services. Um, Facebook is Devondra I. Brown. Um, it's a public figure, so you can just follow that. And then I also have my website. It's devondrabrown.com. So D-A-V-O-N-D-R-A brown.com. 
Amazing. And is there any other, any last minute thoughts, anything that you would like to share with us to wrap up this conversation? I would say definitely continue to support and be a part of the movement, the movement that is Black Lives Matter, not worrying about a trademark or a group, but the movement and the true principle behind Black Lives Matter um, to our white counterparts. Be proud of being white, but do the actions that you should be proud of in that whiteness. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being on. I, this is by far the most important uh, interview I have done this year, and I'm very, very <laughs> excited to share it with everyone. Really appreciate you. I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of it. Thank you so much for opening the space. Awesome. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.